thank you for the opportunity to, to preach this morning. This is my first time preaching as an actual pastor here at Southwest Baptist. When Michael came up with a list of options for the to- topics here during this Bible Word series, it's uh, actually, it's, I like, like to call it the big words that end in shun, like the Colin Buchanan song talks about. The, so the idea of redemption really stood out to me as something I'd love to talk about. So hopefully I have that passion that you can see coming through this morning and hopefully I'll pass that passion on to you as well. Once you understand what the, the concept is, it's going to in, in, inspire you and encourage you and make you contagious as well in a good way, not a bad way. <laughs> so it's just so central to what God's about, redemption. It's the whole story of the Bible is redemption. So let's start by looking at the situation, the bad bad news, because if we look around the world at the moment, it's a fair bit of bad news. And so if we think about certainly the Western world, was based on Judeo-Christian values uh, for a long time. We're kind of moving away from that. So what do you think is the fruit of that moving away from God's values? It's uh, not really working out so well for us at the moment, is it? It's it's funny because societies and cultures that lift up Jesus Christ to some degree tend to be more peaceful and they tend to be more happy and tend to be more prosperous in in generalized uh, ways of speaking there. But I'm not talking about um, health and wealth kind of stuff. I'm talking about just a society in general. So I'm talking about, say, a nation who used to be officially under, you know, uh, Judeo-Christian values, like I say, and they genuinely and formally respect God and His Word. That's kind of where Australia's come from. But history, and history shows us that people in those kind of countries tend to to be the ones that people prefer to live in because uh, as Bible-believing men and women, we can sort of explain why that is because we understand that there's there's cultural balance, there's respect for others, there's, you know, we're built in the image of God, so we respect each other in that kind of way and we respect others' opinions and, and there's good fruit and all that stuff. So should we be surprised if a group who walks away from that and that focus and God, basically, tends to get more divided and tends to get more chaotic and lawless. I don't think that is a surprise. If we push God out, we get the consequences. All right, so that's, if that's the case, then I think what we can see is God's kind of going, well, well, all right, if that's your choice, you're going to have to taste some of the fruit of that rebellion. And I think that's where we are now. We're tasting some of that fruit in certain ways. We're never, you know, never perfect and never will be perfect and, all that, of course, but I think what we're getting now is a little bit of a wake-up call, perhaps. So that's looking at us. Now, I just want to get the bad news out of the way first, because we've got to understand the bad to appreciate the good. So now we want to look at how how God looks at in, in relation to the human condition. Now, in a way, we can say God has a big problem, because we've all gone astray. It's... Isaiah 53.6, there's another Colin Buchanan reference. We all like sheep have gone astray. But how does he get us back? That's the problem. So we are his problem because he loves us, he wants us back, and that's why he made us. But how? How does he do it? How can he be just and and live according to his justice and his um, rightness, righteousness, but still be merciful at the same time? 
And the answer is our topic for today, redemption. Redemption is the answer to that conundrum. And of course, Jesus is front and center right the way through that, even in the Old Testament, but even the fact that Jesus' name means the Lord saves is a hint to the importance of redemption. So is redemption just the same thing as salvation? Well, not really, no. Well, there's plenty of overlapping uh, ideas and themes there, but there are specific aspects that make it really incredible to discuss redemption. So let's have a look at what redemption actually is. Redemption can be defined as the acquiring back of something that had been lost by the payment of a ransom. Now, that's a key idea, the payment of a ransom there. And that can apply to lots of different situations. But let me give you a, a, a classic one. It's kind of an old one, but it's, uh, it ca carries all the elements that we need to see. So if you think back in the day when people would make their own toys and that kind of thing, this is a young boy who made himself a toy sailboat. Now, he's taking his sailboat down the river, sailing it as I remember used to go to the dam when I was a kid, grew up on the farm, and little homemade sailboats, and you'd sail them around, and the wind would catch them. But a dam's different because it's a fixed area. This is on a river, and the river began to carry the boat away, and the wind took it away, and he lost contact with the boat, and it disappeared around the corner. It's difficult to always run along the side of the river to catch it, and eventually the boat got lost and disappeared. So he had to eventually give up the search and he's gone home and said, I've lost my boat. He's heartbroken because there was a lot of time and effort into his boat and he loved it. But then a few days later, he's coming back from school and he walks past a shop and in the window in the shop, there's a boat that looks awfully like his boat. So he brings him over and has a look at the boat and the boat is actually, it is his old boat. So hang on a minute, what's it doing there? So he goes inside the shop and he asks the guy behind the counter, that's my boat, can I have it back? And and he says, I'm afraid not. It's Someone handed that in this morning. It's ours now, so if you want it back, you're going to have to pay the $10 that's on the boat. So the young boy, he runs away, goes home and sees how much money he has, and he has $10. He get, gets, brings together $10, so he runs back to the shop. He takes it to the man behind the counter and says, can I please have my boat back? And so he buys his boat back. And as he's walking out of the shop, he's holding it close to himself, saying, oh, I've got my boat back. And he says, in a sense, to the boat, you're twice my boat now because I made you and now I've actually bought you as well. So you're doubly mine. So in that story, we can see the key elements of redemption. There's the un underlying love of the boy for, his, for what's his, of course, and that's what drives the whole thing. But aside from that, you can see that the thing that's been lost is sought after found and then a price is paid to retrieve it and what i hope you can see by the end of this message today is that it's exactly what god has done to retrieve us in jesus christ because we matter to him he loves us and he made us but we've gone away from him and it's not just by accident we've decided to go away from him each one of us but he's made a way back by paying the price for the for the debt through the sacrifice of jesus on the cross so now we can have access back to God if we come by faith because the way has been opened by Jesus. If we accept him, we have that incredible eternal relationship with him that we all crave. But it's a future in eternity with God and with all the faithful that's far beyond the best thing that we could ever imagine and that's going to be awesome. So I hope I can spark some of those um, 
encouragements and and uh, you know, we think we know what we're heading towards to some degree. We we can't know fully, of course, but there's plenty to be looking forward to. But it's not only future. We can have a taste of that even now if we stay part of God's family in a church and in our church here. And there's no perfect church, but any church that we want to be involved in, there's it's the union between us that's so satisfying. If you really commit to each other and have that trust foundation, it's such a satisfying and a blessing. And uh, so just that's my encouragement to really belong in a church. In our church when we're here, let's make sure we really invest ourselves in helping and, and being part of each other's lives. I know it's a bit hard at the moment because we've got a lot of people in and out and restrictions, but um, it's, it's a time to really try even harder I think because of that but the point I really want to make here is that there is an overall pattern in redemption that can help us understand what it's all about and therefore understand the God who designed it all because that's the point right getting to know God by getting to know Jesus so we get to know Jesus Christ and he is the way to the father so it's all about relationship and so I'm going to propose to you that conceptually redemption is made up of three parts and I'm going to represent this with a picture for you just a simple diagram I'm a math teacher from way back so you know a bit of diagram helps I think so hopefully it'll stick in your minds better and this is kind of a concept that hopefully when you leave here this is the bit that will stay with you the most number one we are redeemed from something number two we are redeemed by something and number three we are redeemed to something so yes, that's prepositions do matter because we got from, by, and to, or you could say for even for that last one there, for something. So they all have important elements to help us understand what God is, is teaching us here. So redemption shows us the heart of God, which is love for us, and that love that will go to incredible lengths to get us back. And so to maybe help in another way to stick in your mind, here's a simplified definition rather than the long definition I had at the beginning. Here's a simplified one. Freedom by payment of ransom. So yes, as I said, the idea of ransom is key there. In fact, let me show you the Greek word in the original that the Bible uses um, most often. There are other words as well, but this is the key one. It's the Greek word apolutrosis. Pardon my pronunciation if you're a Greek native speaker, but I don't think there's too many in here. Apolotrosis. Literally, that means from, apo from, a ransom. Lutrosis means ransom. So notice there that it's not the ransom itself, but it's from the ransom, or from a ransom. So ransom is certainly an important part of it, and the foundation of it, in fact. So it's inherent in the word, and it, it gets paid first. Then from that ransom, later on you get to complete the redemption. So redemption is a process. So we're, we are part of a process that God is carrying out. And as I said, ransom is the beginning part of that. So in a sense, redemption is the fulfillment of ransom. It's the full process of claiming that which has become legally yours. That the ransom that became legally yours already, the rest of it happens later, over time. So... Now, I've given you the general ideas. Let's dig into the Bible and see what it says about this idea. And as it turns out, there's heaps in the Bible about redemption because it is important, like I said. And so it's right through both Old and New Testaments. But 
in our time today, because it's limited, we'll focus on just mostly the New Testament passages. So as we've broken it down into the three, that's how the sermon will go as well. So let's first look at what our redemption is from, the first part. So, when we were redeemed, or when we are redeemed, just generally speaking, who's the payment made to? That's the question. There's a ransom, something's paid. So, is the payment made to Satan? Now, we are often tempted to think that, you know, Satan's holding us close somehow. He's got his claws into us. And in order to win us back, Jesus has to pay Satan something in order to get us back, to satisfy Satan's demands or something. But I'm going to hopefully show you why that's a mistaken view. It's not paying any ransom to Satan. He's not owed anything. Okay, so then is the payment made to God? Well, that sounds a bit more realistic then, if that's certainly not Satan. Then, but you've got to be careful with that too. Are we paying to God because God is you know, a bloodthirsty tyrant who he's only going to release us from prison if he sees his son suffer and die and have a horrible death? Then he's satisfied because he's got a bloodlust or something. That doesn't sound like my God. I don't know if it sounds like your God. So no, I don't think scripture shows us that either of those two views are the correct one. But we do need to be ransomed. They're very, very clear in the Bible that that's the case. We need to be ransomed. So where does the ransom go? Well, maybe I can give you a clue by asking it this way. Where does the debt lie? To whom or to what? And to answer that, let's go to Galatians, firstly. And Galatians is well known as that book all about legalism, the problem of legalism in the church in Galatia, which is sort of middle of modern-day Turkey. And we get the key idea for this from chapter 3, verse 13, where Paul writes, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. Okay, so there's the, the answer's in there. So where does the debt lie, firstly? Is it to the law? which is in the broader sense we can define as God's perfect standards for living. Let's just call the law that. God sets, this is how you should live. And that law is good, isn't it? That's a good thing. God made it. So, let's, if that's what the law is, is, is the law the problem then? Well, no. God set the law up, so the law is good. And anyway, our debt may be there because of the law, but let's, let's get precise. I'm one for being precise about the Bible. What does it actually say there? What are we, we redeemed from? And you can answer if you like. What are you redeemed from, from? Try this verse. The curse of the law. Not the law, the curse of the law. So we are redeemed from the curse of the law. And that's not because the law is bad. It's because the law is good. In fact, it's so good, it's too good for us to live up to. Humans have failed it. So that's where the problem lies. The fault is with us. That's the curse. We are cursed because the law is perfect and we're not. We can't reach the perfect standards of God. So we're cursed and we're separated from Him. So that takes us back to God's big problem. He made humans to be in eternal relationship with Him and He's perfect. He's holy. But each of us has thrown that, that relationship, potential relationship away through sin. And we are not holy. And the holy can cannot uh, have a relationship with the unholy. And Galatians 3.13 goes on to explain how God breaks through that problem, but we'll get to that in a while, in, in other ways. 
First, just two more verses which help us see what we're redeemed from. So let's look at Colossians 1.14. We'll bring these, all these up for you. Paul is talking about us being transferred into the kingdom of God the Son, Jesus, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now, I like this one because it shows us a bit extra more about what redemption is. It almost equates uh, redemption with the forgiveness of sins, at least in this context here. So that's what redemption does. That's what the ransom is for, forgiveness of sins, as we've been singing about. So let's not just sing mindlessly. There's, there's reason we sing these words. So it takes away the guilt of sin, which is the curse of the law. The law is perfect, and that tells us that we're sinners. That's the curse of the law. What does that mean for us in practical terms? Well, that means we can approach God with confidence now because he's offering the forgiveness. Now, we still approach God with reverence, appropriate reverence, and, you know, and, and fear in a, in a godly kind of fear because we need to be mindful of who he is and who we are and what he's capable of. But we also need to be mindful of what redemption tells us. It tells us that our sins are forgiven. And it's no longer a barrier holding us back from knowing God. And that is great news, yes? Yes? Thank you. Yeah, the ransom bit is done now. So we're forgiven now. If we come to Jesus by faith, we can have that forgiveness right now. And the other bit of the great news is that the final redemption is still coming. And we'll talk about that later. So we got great blessings now of course in the ransom but we got even greater blessings blessings coming when it all is played out in its fullness but before we get to all that let's look at one more verse in this section that about what we're redeemed from and 1 peter 1:18, where he says that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers now just to explain he's used the word ransom there that's that is a different word to redemption but as we've hopefully shown you ransom is like the foundation of redemption so it's a lot of the same idea there now in the context there he's referring to the tendency of the jews as a nation to miss the point and make it all about legalism that is they misunderstood the law of moses and tried to you know they added more and made it 613 laws and all that kind of thing and and they ended up missing the point entirely making it all about rule keeping and not about relationship with god because the truth of the gospel does not bind us up like that in, in rules. It actually frees you. So I don't know where your background's from. Maybe you've come from a family legacy of rejection of God, which is a spiritual emptiness. And that's why I've got a picture of sand running through the fingers there in this picture. Because it's, it's, that's what it's worth. It's worthless, the, the legacy perhaps that you've come with. So... How can we apply the truth of 1 Peter 1.18? Well, uh, in Jesus, we don't have to keep being stuck in that generational cycle. We can choose to accept that offer that Jesus gives us. Christ can break you out of it. Because any way that is not Jesus, because he's the way, any other way is, as it says there, futile. In other words, it's worthless. It's, it's useless. So when the kingdom comes with Jesus... Legalism and living for this world is utterly worthless and it all will pass away. So all our best work is like filthy rags, as it says in the Old Testament. So they are the key parts of what we're redeemed from. So the curse of the law, sin and lawlessness, 
and the empty ways of the world. So let's get now to what we are redeemed by, the next section of our uh, topic today. And yes, I suspect you know the answer. What we were redeemed by is actually who we are redeemed by. But the way out of that, our state of being lost to being saved is by Jesus, yes. He is the way, as we just said. But let's uh, go a little deeper than that and see what he really means. So Ephesians 1 verse 7, and we can call this our key verse for the day. It says, In him, Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. So the first point to make is that the link between forgiveness and redemption is made again there. So you see that again. But the other thing that Paul mentions there is very important that there's something specific about what Jesus did to, that gained our redemption. And this is where he brings in the idea of the blood. So see through his blood. Jesus' blood is the key element of our redemption. Now, we don't like to talk about blood too much in our culture. In fact, we probably run as far as we can and try and keep it hidden as much as possible, the idea of blood. So it's, it's just a bit, bit off, isn't it, for most people? But Christians talk a lot about blood. It's because it's so important. So I'm going to talk about it. So I hope that's all right. We need to understand that you know, back in Old Testament times, from way back early in Genesis, God was teaching the human race that the covering of sins was only by blood. And God instituted that whole series of sacrifices. And that's not just Israel. Certainly there was a series of sacrifices for Israel. But even before that, and there was... You know, a long time before Israel was, became a nation, that the sacrifices were expected. And how far back? Well, let's go right back to, to the first sin, Adam and Eve in the garden. God was teaching them a lesson. So when they sinned and they realized they were naked, God covered them with skins of animals, didn't he? Because they made fig leaves and they didn't work. But God was making a point. He's, he's covered them with the skins of animals. Now, in order to get the skins of animals, I don't know if you thought about it logically, but What's God got to do to get the skins of an animal? He had to kill the animal. So even way back then, God is teaching Adam and Eve, and they passed it all the way down, that by the shedding of blood, forgiveness comes. So it requires a sacrifice and the shedding of blood to cover sin. Okay, but why blood? We still haven't got ourselves around that issue. Why blood? Well, the answer in that, uh, is one of the key places to look is the only Old Testament passage we're going to look at today. Leviticus 17.11. And here is God's principle. Leviticus 17.11. For the life of the flesh is in the blood. And I've given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. So if you have blood outside of a body, you have that living thing's life being shed to one degree or another. So that's blood flowing out means life is going out of the person or the, sorry, the animal. I'm talking about in terms of animals here. And if enough of their blood leaves them, this animal, then they die, of course, and that is a complete sacrifice. So blood represents life given for another. But there's a problem there, and we, we see this expressed clearly in Hebrews 10.4. So if you're just killing animals, and they're bleeding out for you, 
How does that help? Well, it doesn't in this way, Hebrews 10.4, for it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. So why is it impossible for animal blood to take away sins? Well, precisely because they're animals, they're not humans. And as the writer says in that context, if, if it could, they wouldn't have had to keep giving doing the sacrifices every single year and more than every year. There's the annual big ones, but there's lots of sacrifices in between that too. And they had to keep doing them because it didn't actually take away sins. So, no, only a human can save humans. Only a human can be a substitute for other humans. So hang on, we're getting into human sacrifice here. That sounds a bit real as well, doesn't it? All right, but hang on, not, we, we know where this is going. But let's look at another problem there. So we need to be a perfect human to be able to substitute for humans, but there aren't any perfect humans because we've all, as we saw before, we've all sinned. We're all fallen. Well, hang on, or is there, or is there one? Yes, there, there is one. His name's Jesus. That's why he had to be fully man to be legally able to redeem us because anything that's not your own flesh and blood can't be your substitute. But he had to be fully God and he is fully God to be able to be sinless. Therefore, his sacrifice and his blood are sufficient for our redemption. So actually, as Hebrews 9.12 says, it's for our eternal redemption because Jesus eternally lives and he's eternally God and his sacrifice is sufficient for us to live eternally. So that's why we have, when we have communion, we have a cup as part of communion because that's got the juice in it and it represents the blood of Jesus. And, by, and when we take that and we take it into ourselves, what we're doing is symbolically saying that we identify and receive that blood of Jesus as payment, as a ransom for our sin. We're making it part of who we are. So just something to think about when next time you have communion, that's what you're expressing by partaking in communion, is that I'm saying that what Jesus did is part of who I am too. Not literally, I'm just saying as a symbol. So, so we are redeemed by Jesus' blood, literal blood there, yes. But there's another aspect of redemption that often gets overlooked because as we've seen, redemption has been won already. That's done. That's the ransom bit. But there's also the truth that our final redemption is still coming. So God's going to claim those he's purchased at some future time. And we see that uh, mentioned in one place in uh, Luke 21, 28. So that's part of the, what's often called the Sermon on the Mount. Now, Luke 21 is actually preached from the temple. And I can't go through all the ways to explain why that is. But it's, uh, it's around that, obviously, that time just before Jesus was crucified at that Passover time, and that's the time that lots of Gentiles were in the temple and he's talking to them in that, that place. So when we get to verse 28 in Luke 21, Jesus is talking about all the terrible things that will be, that will be taking place just before he returns to establish his kingdom on earth. And then he says this, Now when these things begin to take place, all these terrible things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. So when's this future redemption that Jesus is referring to here? Oh, sorry, let's not worry about the when exactly just at the moment. The point is, what is that redemption? Well, he's making good his down payment. He paid the ransom already. 
So when he gathers the church to himself, that's when he fills it in. He, fills it, he, he claims that uh, redemption that he's already begun to fulfill through the, through the ransom. So when does he make good on his down payment? That's when he gathers the church to himself. And so, as I understand this, and you don't have to agree with me, but this sounds an awful lot like the rapture to me. That's the time when we are redeemed uh, physically. So in that real and physical sense, Jesus redeems us by coming to collect his bride, the church, at the end of this age. So that's another thing we are redeemed by. So the rapture, the parousia, no, that's part of the parousia. Um, that time when we all go up in the blink of an eye, receiving new eternal bodies and are with the Lord forevermore. Okay, so what we've seen is what we're redeemed from so far. And just then what we've, what we've been redeemed, what we are redeemed by. So we're going to finish now by looking at what we are redeemed to. And that's actually going to link to what I just said about um, what, we're, what we're redeemed uh, by as well. So we've got to look forward to things. We've got things to look forward to both now in this life and in the life to come. So hopefully this will be an encouragement to you. So like I said, we've just talked about the rapture taking us to our home in heaven, to being prepared there for us. Uh, but there are some more details I'd like to share with you. And let's go to Romans 8.23. We find Paul saying a similar thing. He says, We ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Anyone feel that sometimes? We have that, we groan inwardly, oh, this world is full of sin. And I'm full of sin, still. I'm forgiven, but I still have sin. So we, it's good to look forward to that redemption of our bodies. It's good to look forward to Jesus to come and get us. It's, it's not cowardly escapism. We want to be with our Saviour and that's a great desire to have. But we still have work to do in the meantime. And we'll get to that in a minute. But first notice that our new bodies are in view again here. Linked to the idea of redemption. So that helps us to understand what Jesus meant in Luke 21. So you can interpret scripture with scripture, remember. So that this is when we are truly ready to live forever with him as fully matured sons and daughters in the eternal family of God. And remember, Pastor Michael talked about adoption a few weeks ago. So that comes up there in, in a similar context. So there are connections there. So, And you're all full bottles on adoption now because of that. So thank you, Pastor Michael. And like I said, it ties right into redemption as we see here. Because that redemption is, the adoption as children of God is all part of it. But I want to highlight something else here. And that's the, the Holy Spirit is in us. So that's one of the biggest blessings we have right now if we've trusted in Christ. God himself in the person of the Holy Spirit lives in us. So in, in doing that, he's like, he, our heart is here and he's living alongside us and he's helping our heart to see the truth, illuminates our lives, helps, encourages us. And I like to say coaches because I'm a bit of a sporty person, so it makes sense to me. <laughs> so he coaches us away, along in life. So that's one very practical truth, truth that I want us to grasp here. That the Bible talks about him being our, our comforter and our coach. 
But the Bible also says another thing about him. It talks about him being a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. So when Jesus died and rose again and then ascended, the thing that happened after that, because he couldn't send the Holy Spirit until he'd done all those things, but then that's when he did send the Holy Spirit to be our helper. But also, in a sense, beyond just a helper, he is our down payment of the redemption he had already won, Jesus already won. So if you think of it like when you want something coming up to Christmas time and you want to buy a present for somebody, but you don't want to take it home just yet, so you put a deposit on it in the shop, and you, that's your commitment that you're going to come back later and you're going to uh, bring the rest of the money and you're going to take that item with you and take it then. So to show you're committed to redeeming that thing, which is the concept I'm making here, so you put a down payment or a deposit, which is a firm commitment that you will claim it. So the idea there is similar to the Holy Spirit there in that he is a down payment or deposit as the Bible often describes that there. And if we're committed, if we put some money down, we're pretty committed to go and get, go and gather that thing eventually, right? So if we're like that, imagine how committed God is. If he's put his Holy Spirit in you, he's not going to back out of that commitment, is he? He's 100% committed and we are, can be 100% sure he's coming for us. And that's, that's a wonderful thing because his Holy Spirit's in us. And I want to show you Ephesians 4 verse 30, which tells us a bit about that. Um, in terms of the Holy Spirit in us, he says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So on that day, he will take us to our inheritance, which is the next point we're going to make. So for that, let's go back a couple of chapters. Ephesians 1, is, Ephesians is great. And in all this, I encourage you to read it um, with those glasses of redemption glasses on. But Ephesians 1, 13 to 14, I want to show you the idea of inheritance. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. And if you're wondering where redemption is in there, the, the word apolotrosis is actually hidden behind that phrase, acquire possession. So that's how they've translated that word into acquire possession in this ESV translation. But that's really the idea of redemption there. So that brings another aspect now. It's an interesting aspect that seems to suggest that in some sense we do some redeeming as well. Like it's something's in our hands to do. Now let me, of course, hasten to say that the whole work of redemption is God's. We don't take any credit for it. But, but at the same time, we have free will to express here. We have to accept Christ. So there's a sense that we redeem as well. So let me illustrate it like this. And I had intended to do this physically this morning, actually with everyone here, but uh, I'll explain to you why it was, was not going to work so well. I want you to understand what I was going to do. So my idea was to put a few cards underneath a few chairs uh, and anyone, everyone would reach under their chairs and they'd grab it. If they had a card under your chair, lucky you, you'd be able to come to me after and I'd give you a chocolate bar. You know, as a free gift, as a little, that's your, that's your redemption slip. It's like a gift card, right? That's the idea. Now, I didn't do that that particular way because that, I think, misrepresents the fact that God offers salvation to everyone. So the correct way to do it 
the non-Calvinistic way of doing it is to put the, uh, um, cards under every single chair here today. And especially the first service, but it might, might have been a bit more uh, accessible in the second service because there's less of you today. But if I gave that to everyone, then I, I would probably firstly run out of time as I giving responding to you all with your cards and also I'd run out of money very quickly buying all the chocolate bars. But that's the idea is that you have the opportunity. So Christ has offered you his uh, forgiveness. That's what that card would represent. And, but you have to come and claim it. You have to make the choice to claim it in yourself. So if you have not done that in your life, please do that because that offer is under every chair, if you could say. It's open before every single person. So please respond to Christ if you haven't already because he does offer it to every one of you equally. But that's, that's the idea of redemption that, that's in our hands as well. It's all God's doing, but we have to respond. So, so finally now, inheritance is down the road for us in the future. But what does redemption mean for us right now? Just in the, in the last one we're going to look at, last verse we're going to look at is Titus 2.14. We already saw that the Holy Spirit is in us now if we believe. What does that mean for our lives? Here's what Paul says that, says that Jesus gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. So there's kind of a summary of everything we've looked at here as well. We've been redeemed from lawlessness by Jesus. So from, by Two, right? So from lawlessness by Jesus, and he's working to purify us, that is, sanctify us, as we saw last week, so that we might be what? What does it say there? Zealous for good works. So we should be fired up to do good things. Does that describe you, and does, it, does that describe me? So that's something we can reflect on this week. Are you zealous for good works, or are you a bit jaded? Well, we need to get to the place where Doing good works is something we're excited about. Now, careful with just good works. It's not just doing, not just helping old ladies across the street and donating to Compassion or whatever it is or supporting a, a um, sponsored child or something. They're all great things, don't get me wrong, but the ultimate measure of what is a good work in God's eyes is something that has eternal value. And each of those things have eternal value in, in various ways. But ultimately, it's investing the gospel in people and investing the gospel in yourself. And I'm not only talking about studying the Bible. That's certainly part of it and key part of it. And that drives the rest of it. But you let that out into the rest of your life and the gospel lives through you and those, those eternal fruits are born through you as you live the gospel and as you speak his word to others. Whether you are doing that by teaching someone the Bible directly or whether you're doing that by giving someone a meal, whatever it is. These are some of the key things we should be doing which are eternal fruit. In acting love towards each other in practical ways, we can open doors for trust to be built with each other and let the love of Jesus flow through you to others. Now, the Holy Spirit lives in you, doesn't he, if you're a believer? Yes? So let him work through you and then Jesus will be honoured and you'll be doing good. So let's make that something we focus on this week. So there's my challenge before all of us. Let's pray. Lord, your word never just leaves us feeling entirely inadequate in one sense and entirely 
fully adequate in another sense. Lord, we know we are in between in this, this stage that we're in in our lives, in, our, in history, Lord. We still have sin, but you are a loving God who redeemed us. You are redeeming us and you will bring us to full redemption one day. Lord, so in this time, help us. Please work through us by your Spirit to bring your truth to others and to build it in ourselves and to do those good works that you will have for us to do. So thanks for the truth of redemption and what it shows us about who you are and what you're doing. And we want to honour Jesus Christ because it's all about him. And it's in his name we pray now. Amen.